0: Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. I am Nick Hayden, one of your hosts. And I am the other host, Timothy Deal. And this is episode two. Episode two. We're still here. Horse Feathers. So the premise, if you're just coming in, is that we're watching one movie from each decade. We started with Nosferatu last episode. Last episode in 1922. And now 1932, Horse Feathers. So this is
1: 90 years ago as of this recording.
0: Yes. Everyone says I love you. The cop on the corner and the burglar too. The preacher in the pulpit and the man in the pew says I love you. So, Tim, let's get straight into this thing. Uh huh. What's going on in 1932?
1: Well, a lot, and I'm going to try to condense this as much as I can, but this is a very important period of time in Hollywood history. We didn't talk a lot about Hollywood last time because uh, Nosferatu was a German film, but this is Horse Feathers by the Marx Brothers. It is right in the thick of Hollywood stuff, so um, there's basically four big things want to talk about here first off the studio system it's in full swing we talked about studios last time that they they were a thing but they're definitely at the rise of uh, or at their height of the power here at this point in time the movie studios controlled the production distribution and exhibition of movies they a
0: control- very different setup than we have currently
1: yeah we have a lot more i mean if we still have our giant conglomerates yeah but, like, at this time, studios actually owned the theaters, the movie theaters themselves, even. Um, the directors and actors were usually contracted to specific studios and assigned films. They didn't have a whole lot of freedom.
0: And the studio could basically override the director, like, essentially
1: oh, yeah. yeah, very much so. I mean, it's interesting to see how some of these ideas still influence Hollywood, though. Like, in some ways... Kevin Feige is kind of like a modern movie mogul.
0: That's true. I guess the Marvel Studios is sort of a studio system. Yeah. You have like, hey, you'll be in in 17 of these movies.
1: uh, Yeah. And like we have a very specific vision for what we do and don't want in our movies.
0: That's true. I guess that's kind of reincarnated.
1: Reincarnated, yeah. Yeah. Star Wars is the same way in some ways, or at least it's trying to be. They've had problems with some of its directors. We want to do this. like, no, 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 no. That's not what we want to do with our brand. So
0: what were some of the big uh, studios at this time? The big
1: five were MGM Paramount, Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox, and RKO Radio Pictures. So most of them still around. Most of them still around, although 20th Century Fox is now owned by Disney, which was not even a studio back then. Yeah. Uh, at least not that was an indie sort of thing. Um, then there were also three miners that owned a fewer number of theaters, and so they kind of had to negotiate with the bigger ones. That would be Universal, Columbia Pictures, and United Artists. Which United Artists was actually created in 1920s, I want to say, by Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford and some other like actors that wanted oh, okay. to have a little bit more control over their, their films. Part of the reason why you had these studios, though, at the time that they had so much control is that making movies was very, very expensive, mm-hmm. especially at this time when the technology was new. And that brings us to our next big thing that's going on in movies at this time. Talkies. Unlike Nosferatu. We are now have dialogue. We now are in the age of sound. Some critics actually consider that the golden age of Hollywood began in 1927 with the financial success of the jazz singer, which was the first successful. There were other pictures that had incorporated sound. The jazz singer was the first that was a major hit. Okay. So that's what convinced the studios of transition to sound films, AKA talkies. There was debate at the time as there is when the, you develop any yeah. new technology, whether talkies or silent film was the best way to go. Some people think silent film is the more, is a pure form of cinema. So,
0: Tim hot take, which is pure form.
1: Uh, I don't have an opinion. Okay. I guess to be okay. honest, I mean, I guess you could argue that the silent films are just purely the images, but like, I think it's more of a style of film than a, a pure film, because okay. there's so many great movies that need sound. Yeah, and for go meaning. And that. we've had, yes. So anyway, transitioning to sound was a very expensive undertaking for the industry. And this was right around the time where the Great Depression was, was really hitting their pocketbooks. Like They had to make this big transition to using sound, and it was not an easy process. And they had to, limited their use of camera movement sometimes for a period of time until the, as the technology improved one of the tactics that they use to try to get the most bang for their buck is the dialogue really became a selling point for these movies. Mm-hmm. Like, just how, like, for a while, you know, 3D was a big thing. Yeah, He was sell the 3D. Yep. Yeah, now now the sound was a big deal. And so sometimes they felt like people really wanted to experience interesting dialogue. They wanted really fast, snappy patter. Yeah. Would you see some of that in this movie? Yes. With yes. Gr- Groucho Marx. But also, even the... Um, there's a certain accent. If you ever watch like old movies from the 30s and 40s, like things with Cary Grant or Catherine Hepburn, they will use a certain kind of. I forgot to look it up what it's called, but it's like it's an affected accent that sounds something in between American and British. Okay, and it's like I've heard people ask, "What kind of accent is that?" It's not a New York accent, although it sounds urban. Well, it's it's actually this made up thing that they use to sound cool on camera, huh?
0: Essentially, interesting.
1: Anyway, we mentioned the Great Depression. Again, this affected everyone, including the movie business. Even though movies were still a very popular form of entertainment, I've seen that 60 million Americans went to the cinema weekly. Maybe they want to escape from the Great Depression. Exactly. <laughs> and movie studios were happy to give them plenty of ways to escape, and they employed different tactics. Some would go for big spectacle. MGM was known for this. Musicals, all star casts, scantily clad women, maybe in those musicals. Warner Brothers loved making darker, hard hitting kinds of movies like they were things of like importance sometimes it's like more pulpy kind of stuff like gangster movies or film noir. Some critics have talked about how this fed into a kind of a national cynicism of the era. They would explore the downtrodden kind of real society kind of okay. pictures. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers like doing these kinds of things. And honestly there are some examples from 1932 that probably some of our real hardcore film listeners, if there are any here, uh, would think that we probably should have talked about like Scarface, the original Scarface, yes, not the yes. Al Pacino one that came in later in the 80s. Or, I was a fugitive from a chain game, yep. which was again about the abuses of the prison system again, a real societal kind of commentary.
0: Is this a time of muckraking too
1: in literature? Oh, or that's a good brain? question. Or, like, journalism, yeah, that's a I feel like that was before that because, because wasn't the Spanish War really influenced a lot by the muckrakers? I believe, Mud, you're, yeah, and that's like 1910s, early 1900s, yeah. So yeah, eighteen nineties, 1920s, Yeah. Although now that you mention it, I do know William Randolph Hearst was doing his thing at this time. Okay. So there, I guess you could say he's kind of he had some like activist journalism. Yeah. I would I would say, and of course also uh, there are people like we said wanted to escape it and just want this dark stuff. So some of them would go to comedy. And some people have pointed to the Marx Brothers films of this era as another example of the Prussian era cynical poking at institutions, kind of challenging the norms, that kind of stuff. It depends on how much you want to read into that kind of stuff. I guess we <laughs> yeah. could.
0: We'll, we'll get to that when we do a Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah we, get, we can get into that. But not, not necessarily all comedies were this way. I think Laurel and Hardy were more more innocent. Mm-hmm. Shirley Temple, she made her first movie this year in 1932. Okay. So um, obviously she's a sign for a more innocent type of movie. But this is the third major thing. Actually, the fourth major fourth thing. Fourth major thing. This is considered a pre code era, even though there was. The so way explained this code. Yes. So the motion picture production code was adopted in 1930. This is also known as the Hayes Code because Hayes was the name of a politician who really pushed for it. But it was poorly enforced until 1934. When Catholic and Protestant groups, mostly, mainly Catholics, were really calling out for higher decency standards in the movie industry. And there is a good reason why. Like I said, this was a period of time. And even in the early 20s, it can get kind of, for those of us who have gotten used to like see black and white movies and think, oh, this is like for a more wholesome era. Yeah. Well, there's this period of time where they weren't so wholesome, and uh, that
0: mankind has always been the same. Yeah,
1: <laughs> basically. I, I mean, I'm not an expert on this period of film yeah. history. I don't know if you could compare like the violence in these movies to what we would see later in like the 80s, yeah, <laughs> and today. But certainly, I think you would you might watch some of these and be kind of taken aback by some of the dialogue and some of the indie windows mm-hmm. that are going on. Again, just because we see black and white movies, we think, oh, this will be wholesome and safe. Yeah. Not during not before the the code was strictly the, the enforced. Hayes code
0: then basically limited how much of that sort of violence or innuendo you could put in,
1: yeah, and I should I guess I should comment. I said Hayes was a politician. I'm not sure that's true because the motion picture production code was not something that was passed by the governments. This was something the studios signed on to because it was basically a form of self-censorship. They were trying to censor themselves before the government could censor them, yeah, which, happens a lot with new media like the video games wound up having to do that with the esrb during the 90s they're like we would rather censor ourselves than let's outside influences and honestly it's it's probably more constitutionally valid to do it that way than the other way anyway so there you go some quick film history of what's going on in filmed in the 30s
0: so we have the studio systems brand new talkies are brand new we're dealing with the great depression and in theory there's a haze code around yeah but it's it's kind of it's ambiguous at this point yeah it's openly mocked in uh elite
1: hollywood circles <laughs> But the notable films. This is getting more specifically on 1932. Top grossing one was The Sign of the Cross, directed by Cecil B. DeMille. This was
0: his. Seems like he's famous for some things.
1: He's yeah he's <laughs> he's directed some famous things. Yeah. Um, I think we know of course his later things, his color things, way better. But he did a lot of stuff, and this is actually his third biblical movie, and it wouldn't be his last. Although actually, I'm not sure if it's biblical or if it's more. I think it's more like the time of Nero. So kind of just after. Inspired. Just near that time. Fan fiction. (laughs) Sort of. The Academy Award for Best Picture in this year went to Grand Hotel, an all-star drama starring Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Joan Crawford, and Lionel Barrymore. I think John and Lionel were brothers. For every episode, aside from Nosferatu and our uh, practice episode, I nominated three movies so we could have some to pick from. Uh, My other two nominations for this week were Grand Hotel and The Mummy, starring Boris Karloff, which if we hadn't started with a horror movie, maybe we would have gone that. But we thought we
0: did a horror, so comedy's a good and change of pace.
1: Exactly. Other notable events from 1932, if you really want to go on Wikipedia and read about all the film executives that began in a 10 years at different studios. Go check that out there. But for most of our audience, things that stood out to me this year, marked the beginning of the film career for Ingrid Bergman, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn and Shirley Temple. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Those are yeah some big film stars started their careers this year. This year, it was also when Disney released flowers and trees, the first cartoon in three strip technicolor. So there you go. That's right.
0: quick history for you. So there's our history of 1932. But what about this particular movie? What is what is it about? Horse feathers. Horse feathers. Yeah, doesn't tell you much, does it? This movie stars
1: the Marx Brothers. If you're not familiar with the Marx Brothers, you may have seen pictures of them. Groucho is the guy with a big painted-on mustache and eyebrows, and the cigar all the time. Always carrying a cigar. He's he's the one that gives the quick quips and very sarcastic.
0: That's fine. Why don't you borrow a hole in yourself and let the sap run
1: out? Chico, or uh, Chico, uh, depending on how you say it. I think the brothers said Chico, but they got pronounced the other way a lot. Anyway, he's the one, he wears a hat, he speaks with a fake Italian accent, <laughs> Yes. plays piano. He's kind
0: of the middleman, I want to say. In between. He, like, he always plays dumb, kind of. We're looking for Mullen and Macari. That's us. What can we do for you? Uh, you got a brother? No. You got a sister? Yeah. Well, your sister, she's a very sick man. You better come with us. And at least in this movie, he plays a little dumb. He
1: plays a little, he's dumber than Groucho, but not quite as dumb as Harpo. Yes. The third one, and another famous one, he he wears a curly wig. He's mute. He doesn't ever talk. He a kind of traditional clown. He's, ve- he's very clownish. Yes. is lots of Panama and lots of visual gags um is what he does and he's called Harpo because he plays the harp and whenever he plays harp he'll like he take, his demeanor completely changes he gets really serious and it, it, he plays with this kind of otherworldly quality and then um in this movie is Zeppo is the fourth Marx brother who is not nearly as well known as the others. He would actually only make one more movie after this with his other brothers. He was the straight man. He's not often given a lot to do because the other brothers kind of dominate over Mm -hmm. everything he does. I think he has more to do actually in Duck Soup than he does in this
0: movie. It's been a while since I've seen Duck Soup, so I couldn't tell you.
1: Anyway, this is a comedy, of course, that is poking fun at college life and football. Professor Wagstaff, played by Groucho, and we won't refer to their names, the characters' names, because no, it you, doesn't matter. It's just the. Is
0: it just an excuse
1: for them to do Mark's brother stuff? Silly stuff, yeah. He's the president of Huxley College, who is persuaded by his son, Frank Zeppo, a 12 year student of the college, to recruit new football players for an upcoming big game. However, Groucho mistakenly recruits the wrong men at the local speakeasy. He recruits a nice booze delivery man, Chico, and a dog catcher, Harpo. The four men go on to compete for the affections of the college widow. We'll explain that whole thing in a yes. minute. Uh, they go on to cause chaos in an anatomy class, attempt to kidnap rival football players, and create more hit mayhem in the climactic football game. This is, of course, a black and white film with sound. It was filmed in the Academy standard ratio, which is looks very similar to four by three. So don't go stretching your TVs to the widescreen. It's supposed to look like old school TV Mm -hmm. here, the box, because that's how it was done back then. It's about 68 minutes, although the original cut was slightly longer. There were certain scenes that were censored after this movie was uh, (laughs) shown when the code was more strictly enforced. From what I've heard, it's not a super long amount, maybe just a few minutes yeah. here and there. Mostly, I guess, in the, um, in the bedroom scene.
0: When they keep coming in and out. And they, there was all these jump cuts when we were watching it. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah is, even the, the version we have, there's like jump cuts. It looks like things have been spliced out. Some more innuendos. I guess Harpo does a headstand in the lady's lap at some
0: point. Oh, okay. So, things like that. Okay, well, that's Horse Feather. So, who cares? Why pick this movie in our run through the decades? Mainly just because it's the Marx Brothers. I wanted to get a comedy in <laughs> <Exactly. here. laughs>
1: But as far as how successful was it on release? Well, financially, uh, according to Turner Classic Movies, it was. They didn't really give me any numbers there from the sources I looked at. Interestingly, this was more successful than the next movie, Duck Soup, which nowadays is considered the Marx Brothers' top movie. Yes, yes. Or like their, their masterpiece. But interestingly enough, maybe at, at that point, they had just gone too far with their wacky shenanigans. Because at this point, uh, the Marx Brothers had done, oh, I want to say, five or six movies with Paramount. Okay. They were the studio they were contracted with. And then they would go to, I want to say it was MGM for their next several movies, uh, starting with A Night at the Opera, which... Change the format a little bit instead of like this one is just frantic slapsticky the, the, all yeah, the way.
0: Madcap Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The A Night of the Opera, they kind of started trying to really improve the storytelling, the the plots, given oh, the more having plot. a plot.
0: Having a plot. <laughs> yes.
1: The plot is really not important to
0: this story or duck soup. No, that's completely true. So did it did it influence, did this just exist and people liked it, or did it like influence things after it
1: well mostly it's not a hugely revolutionary film uh, i would say that it is one of the more popular ones for marx brothers fans there are certain scenes that have certainly entered the public lexicon i guess yeah. there's a great scene at the speakeasy with the, uh, the password trying you to did, get yeah. in and the password is swordfish
0: who are you i'm fine thanks who are you i'm fine too but you can't come in unless you give the password oh what is the password oh no you gotta tell me Hey, I tell what I do, I give you three guesses. It's the name of a fish. Is it Mary? Ha <laughs> ha! That's an old fish. She isn't. Well, she drinks like one. Let me see. Is it sturgeon? Hey, you are crazy. Sturgeon, he's a doctor who cuts you open when you're sick. Now, I give you one more chance. I got it. Haddock. That's a funny. I got a haddock, too. What do you take for a haddock? Well, now sometimes I take aspirin, or sometimes I take a calomel. Say, I'd walk a mile for a calomel. You mean chocolate calomel. I like that, too. But you know, guess it. Hey, what's the matter? You don't understand English? You can't come in here unless you say swordfish. Now, I'll give you one more guess.
1: And this created a whole trope. Uh, if you look at TV tropes, there's a trope called the password is swordfish. And then it gets referenced in like, movies like Hackers, The Net, and even a movie called Swordfish, which all these movies with computers and the password is swordfish. <laughs>
0: So which is a great scene all around. It too. is.
1: It really is. Yes. I've also heard, I forgot to put it on our list here, but uh, Groucho's song early on, uh, Whatever It Is, I'm Against It, Yes. which could be the anthem of academics everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it.
1: But uh, I've heard that reference several places, and also uh, ESPN once listed the climactic football scene on top of their top eleven scenes in football movie history.
0: Okay, it's quite, it's quite the football game.
1: Yes, and this movie did rank up on American Film Institute's list of top one hundred comedies, the one hundred years, one hundred laughs. This one ranked as number sixty five. All right. Which I think is the fourth highest of the Marvel movies to make it on that list.
0: Marx movies. Marx.
1: What did I say? You said Marvel movies. Oh,
0: no. I don't think there's any Marvel movies on the top 100 comedies.
1: No. Well, they weren't out yet when they did those lists. So, yes. I think the fourth highest of the
0: Marx Brothers movies that were on that list. Okay. All right. So that's the rundown. That's all the background information you need to know. So now we'll come to the heart of what do we think about this movie? So Tim, had you, you had not watched this movie, but no. had you watched other Marx Brothers movies?
1: I had seen Duck Soup and At the Circus. I first became familiar with the Marx Brothers through my, when my grandmother moved in with us at our house. She had a VHS set of Legends of Comedy. Okay, and yes. It was kind of my first exposure to a lot of comedians from the 20s through 60s. So that included this. And so I really engineered a, a big interest in that stuff for me for a while, like in my junior high and high school. I've always meant to see more, so this was certainly on my radar, but I never gotten
0: around to it till now. How about you? I had seen Duck Soup and it's been over a decade ago, so I don't remember much about it except I had been interested in the Marx Brothers just because I knew they were comedy and you always see Groucho sort of show up in weird spots like uh-huh. and maniacs in places and
1: well, it's funny, it wasn't until very recently I finally realized that's those, like, glasses that you see, like I used to see on, on Muppet Babies and other cartoons all the yeah. time, but, like the glasses with the mustache and the eyebrows. That's a Groucho thing. Yeah. Which I did not, I never realized. Well, I guess he was the host of a game show later on, You Bet Your Life. Okay. And so I think he kind of persisted in pop culture longer. The Marx Brothers stopped making films, I want to say, their big heyday was in the 30s, but I want to say they were pretty much done as a group by the 40s. But his his uh,
0: his uh look is very iconic. Like, it just has kind of seeped into culture, even if you don't know quite who he is. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. All right, well, then we watched this uh, about a week ago, and we had some initial reactions from ourselves and our wives who watched it with us. That's so right. So I guess, Tim, cue the sound clips. Here we go. Everyone says I love you. The great big mosquito when he sting you.
1: Man, this really is like a live-action cartoon in a lot of ways. Just frantic, slapstick, completely ridiculous over top. Plot is not important at all. Um, but its it was funny. I had a big, dumb smile on my face the whole time just because it was ridiculous. And,
0: uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say at this point. It's not, like, historical. So, Nick. Yeah, I agree. I just really enjoyed it. I think it's just because it's is all in. Like it doesn't stop. It's just like we're going to sell this no matter how insane this is and they and it just is completely consistently zany the whole time. So it works. You have to just either absorb it or walk away.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Thoroughly silly. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's pure silliness. I didn't know what to expect really, but um, I was very surprised at the musical aspects of it. Like, I wasn't expecting music. I wasn't expecting them to sing and then the heart playing was amazing and the piano playing and i know some of that probably wasn't i mean there were some background there was some background music there too but i think it was i mean they were playing for real
0: too yeah i think so
1: so that was surprising i like that i would have to say too of the four brothers probably my favorite i mean i like pinky i think i like well that's the character and baravelli i think i like baravelli the most which, which is the was Pinky was the harpo character, yes, and the other is Chico. Uh, okay, so it was the hat, sure, they were together, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yep. Already, you say the goo. that means you little son of a gun. I love you. <laughs> Maybe it's a better if I don't sing too, huh? Yeah, all right. So, that was us a week ago. Immediate reactions, it's been a while. We've We've let it simmer before we jump on to the next bit. I was curious, did your kids have anything else to say about it? Well, uh, not really. I mean, few enjoyed it. He he thought it was funny. They didn't give you much specifically. No. Okay. And
1: I, I know they're still at the age where they're a little like,
0: yeah, it was good. And yeah, that's I mean, about all they have. That's basically it. Yeah. Okay. So, that was us about a week ago. We've had a simmering for a, a week or so. So, what do we still think is good? Well, I still think the the frantic
1: pacing and the plot. I mean, not unimportant <laughs> plot, I should say. The silliness, it is very memorable for that way. I mean, It's hard not to think about the the whole password scene or even a lot of the goofiness. I said earlier, like, there's some maybe inappropriateness in the bedroom scene. I guess it's a bedroom. But it's also really ridiculous the way everyone's, like, constantly in and out. It's just
0: so silly. Yeah, I I can't think of a better name. Zany. Yeah, I mean, each of the three funny brothers Mm. all bring a different type of humor. And it's just nonstop. And a plot would have gotten in the way. And (laughs) And I'm... I think it really works. It it seems to me, I don't know if it's just similar or there's influences, but I mean, Looney Tunes, especially like Bugs Bunny sort of attitude seems to be right in line with this sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like we're just crazy people causing problems for no good reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, it was a lot of
1: fun. It was. Like, I love the... Hit. Groucho was constantly getting chased out of the room and then coming back in and taking off his shoes. And, and st- putting his umbra-
0: opening his umbrella?
1: Opening his umbrella instead <laughs> of closing his umbrella. And
0: they kept walking through and dropping the ice off. I mean, it's just... <laughs> throwing things out the window. Just, and, it just, and it just keeps going. It's just rampant. And then I've always been fond... I mean, all of them are hilarious. I've always been fond of the this, this sort of rapid fire... Um, punning, like grouches or Uh something, you know, every sentence gets twisted on its head, like (laughs) effortlessly. I think you've got something there, and I'll wait outside until you clean it up. I know it's dangerous, but I'm going to ask you one more question. Where do you get good football players? Well, in a speakeasy down... In a speakeasy? Isn't that against the law, selling football players in a speakeasy? Dad, two of the greatest football players in the country hang out in a speakeasy downtown. Are you suggesting that I, the president of Huxley College, go into a speakeasy without even giving me the address? It's at forty-two Elm Street, but you can't go there. It's unethical. It isn't right for a college to buy football players. It isn't, eh? Well, I'll nip that in the bud. How about coming along and having a nip yourself? I'd better still. You wait here. Anything further, Father? Anything further, Father? That can't be right. Isn't it anything, Father? Further? The idea. I married your mother because I wanted children. Imagine my disappointment when you arrived. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I, it makes me want to watch more Marx Brothers. I know, it's just it's still ridiculous things. They're doing the anami scene, which to me is not even that um, memorable. Uh-huh. But the professor asked the student for symptoms of uh, cirrhosis. And he's like, cirrhosis are red, so violets are blue, so sugar is sweet, so so are you. There's no stopping, there's no laugh track. They say it, they move on to something else. The opening, I remember like there, his opening speech to the,
1: the body, like there's definitely like moments where he's pausing for like the audience to laugh, and I remember the that, that opening also being a little bit awkward, because we're all like, it takes you a little bit to get in the rhythms, like, oh, that was a joke, because people don't deliver jokes this way anymore. No,
0: no, the is very, you're right, you almost have to be in it a little bit to get the delivery, but they're very rapid fire, Yeah, and they're very like dry sometimes, like uh-huh. they're not... And they are laugh out loud, but they're a very different style. And I, I, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Okay, so I I had to pull up on uh,
1: IMDb. So here's the thing Groucho says at some point.
0: Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) And this is like one, like, there's probably four in the last 30 seconds he said like that. Uh, And it's just, you got to keep up with them
1: if you want to catch them all. (laughs)
0: I mean, that's why when I first got into Miss Science Theater, you know, I love just trying to catch all the jokes. And it's that's true. It's, it's it that is kind style. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're just riffing themselves, basically. <laughs> so, anyways, the, the comedy holds up after 90 mm. years. What are you doing with that cigar in your mouth? Why? Do you know, know
1: another way to smoke
0: it? <laughs> Oh, and there's a swordfish scene. Is all, and then, and there's physical humor, too. I mean, Harpo's physical humor is... Yeah, he's very frantic. I mean,
1: he keeps up with the, the pace by just his physical, like, running around and pulling out crazy gags. I mean, he gets his share of wordplay, too, in his own way. Like, they would repeat this in Looney Tunes later on. Someone would say, cut the cards, and he pulls out a machete and cuts the deck in half. Yep. (laughs)
0: I mean, when the password, he doesn't speak, what's the password? He pulled out a swordfish out of his pocket. Yeah, because he just has it. He always has whatever... Whatever he needs. Whatever he needs in his pocket. Or, like, early on, he's putting coins into the phone, like, playing it like a slot machine, and then all the (laughs) coins come out, and... Because they're like, why? Why? (laughs) Like, you can't... Like, normal world realism logic is completely out the window. I mean, last time we talked about German impressionism, which was, like, internal... This is just... The world works however it needs to work for things to be funny.
1: Yeah. And I imagine that there's, that may be one challenge for some people to get into it, that because it it is so ridiculous and so, like, nonsensical. I mean, this is a tricky part about comedy, too, I feel like. It's only funny as long as you're not taking certain things seriously. Yes. If you were taking certain situations seriously, these things would not be funny at all.
0: Yeah, and that's why, like, even my initial response, like, you either have to be all in or... You're just like, this makes no sense. Or this is dumb. Or why would you do that? Or I can't believe a college professor would say such a thing. (laughs) Um, Exactly. So, yeah, that reminds me of a question I had
1: watching it or when we were talking afterwards. Like, So there's a lot of modern comedy that I don't like because it tends to involve the characters acting really immaturely or doing things that are just morally not excusable in some ways. Yeah. And you could say that, I guess for some of this and some of Looney Tunes in general, but so, which makes me wonder, is it because it's older, we find it more acceptable or is it because there's less, I mean, don't get me wrong. Groucho gives a lot of innuendos yeah. here if you're paying attention. And I'm sure that went over your kids' heads, yes. but which is good. And Looney Tunes, sometimes you'd have Bugs Bunny dressing in drag yeah. and drag or like some character going Gaga over a picture of a, a woman or something. It just makes me wonder, where's the line sometimes between what's silly and fun, and where does it become, especially from a, our Christian perspective, yeah. when does it
0: become inappropriate? It's yeah, if I was creating it, it'd be a very different answer. Yeah. Watching it, it's probably still inappropriate, but it, it registers so little on my radar as I'm watching it when it's this ridiculous. I think it's the style. Uh-huh. I mean, some of it's the old, mm-hmm. but I think some of it's just the style is so rapid fire, like nothing's really supposed to be taken except as a joke. Uh-huh. So I a lot of that stuff becomes less than like a modern comedy, it might be that, but like they're also trying to tell an actual story. Yeah. And suddenly there there are some stakes in the plot. Uh-huh. There's no stake in the plot. Like no. Like the characters are not real characters.
1: They don't care anything about this college. The, like they're not acting like actual people. They're clowns.
0: Yeah, everyone's just a clown. It's like going to the circus. I mean, it's like literally they're just all stand ins for a joke. I mean, I think that's what helps. I mean, not that I want the innuendo, but it doesn't register with me in the same way in some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably the old ones don't as well, also because it's it's less explicit too. I think, to yeah. some extent.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like I said, it goes over kids' heads so much. I mean, probably the closest one that someone would pick up on, like Garage is on the phone call with with this woman, and I'll explain that in yeah. just a sec. He's like,
0: "You don't, eh? Well, I want to see you. Come right over to my office. You can't. You're in bed." Well, in that case, I'll come over to
1: your office. I don't know. Some kids might pick up on yeah, that. But So, okay. So there's this whole thing with
0: this character who's called a college widow. And we're all like, what is a college widow? So we actually had to look it up. Do you happen to have that up? I do not have it up, but it was an entire trope in the early 1900s, up, up through the 50s, I think they said. Yeah. Where basically a young, uh, not necessarily a young lady, a lady would hang around and just live near colleges. And they would tend to be all go- you know, all male colleges mm-hmm. just so she could basically keep dating successive classes of men. Yeah. So sometimes it, it was not I, I think the trip started sometimes
1: it was the actual widow of a professor or yes. a president or something, but so it, just, it, it didn't necessarily have to be.
0: So I mean that, that whole college widow thing is a little is already a little off color. Yeah.
1: And there's some guy that's like trying to use her to like Romance these guys so I can get information about the football game so that I can make bets and
0: things like so, that. So, like, you took any of that seriously, just like, ugh. This is skeevy. This is super skeevy. I mean, yeah. it really is. Uh-huh. But simultaneously, and maybe it's just uh, right or wrong, when I'm watching Marx Brothers, uh-huh. it's like when I'm watching riff tracks, I'm only looking for the jokes. Like, the ones I don't like, it just ignore. hmm Right or wrong. But, yeah, I guess creating would be a whole, whole different thing. And, and I think the time does change some of the... Like, I mean, there is a different cultural context that things don't hit as directly yeah i mean people
1: talk about like i mean we talked earlier about how like yes sin has been around for a long time and of course they were trying to you know they were using sex as kind of a selling point even back then but i do think there is a difference in terms of how much more sex saturated our culture Mm -hmm. is that that there's still an extremeness sometimes to the kinds of jokes that we tell with sex that like it just plays differently when I remember my grandmother even saying sometimes with like, she said she would used to find the three stooges way funnier. Like when those movies were originally coming out, then nowadays when you actually hear way more stories about like
0: domestic abuse and mm. like people and actual violence and things like that, yeah.
1: suddenly the three stooges wasn't quite as funny anymore to her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just the context you bring to it sometimes too. And how much of it seems to you like a, like a, Oh, they're making fun of that, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's it's pretend versus, oh, that's reflecting a reality. Yeah. I think how much you think comedy is reflecting a reality versus how much is reflecting yeah. dumb people. I mean, the ending of this has
1: three of the brothers marrying this college widow and like, and then they jump on her and kind of climbing all over. And it's completely ridiculous. I mean, it's
0: it's like the three animaniacs at the end of something. marrying. (laughs) I mean, it's literally like a scene animaniacs would do. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, And I think because I really view watching it almost like watching a Looney Tunes thing, Mm. it has that sort of like innocentizing effect, you know? Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, if you take, Looney Tunes is like, oh, man, they're blowing people up and he's <laughs> mistreating them. And You can get really mad about Lo- but if you take it like yeah, it's just what it is, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an it's an uh, interesting it's, it's, thing. Yeah, it's hard to know whether that's a problem with the viewer or just h- good. I mean, from a Christian point of view. Yeah.
1: I think it's worth examining. Yes. Like, I don't want to, like, push it under the rug.
0: I also don't want to make a mountain out of a wall. Exactly. It, it's there. I mean, there are things that if I was making it or I was uh, editing it, I would not keep in. Sure. Fair enough. For months before my son was born, I used to yell from Night morn, Whatever it is, I'm against it. And I've kept yelling since I first commenced it. I'm against it. So, Nick, this is the part where we ask each other questions. Yes, I, I get a start this time. Go for it. Could something this madcap ever be made in modern era? Huh. That's an interesting question. I mean, I feel like it'd be
1: much easier
0: made in an animated form. Yeah. But I want to say, like, could you make a live action thing? I mean, would people accept it? I don't know. I mean, it
1: would help in some ways if it was super stylized, I feel like. Okay. Um, So people felt like it was
0: something different.
1: Yeah, something different. I mean, this is its own style in a sense, like we've been saying. Like, the story is not important. You're not looking for character growth. And I feel like that'd be the biggest difference and why it'd be really hard in live action because people really
0: expect
1: nowadays to have some sort of character growth, almost anything. Same
0: thing we talked about Nosferatu is that nowadays we want this psychology, character growth, identification with the character. And both Nosferatu and this basically say, characters don't matter. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That is interesting. It's a change in just the culture, I guess, over the 190 years, 100 slash 90 years. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 90 years for this one.
1: Okay. I don't think I have a serious one this okay. time. So,
0: it's hard with a uh, Marx Brothers.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, here's my one question I'll give you this week. Yes. How did Groucho become president of a college?
0: That college um uh, yes. he um I trying to think of a clever funny answer. <laughs> I nothing know. is as insane as him actually doing it. <laughs> um he probably just walked in the guy's house and like slapped him and took his keys or something. <laughs> Yeah. I was guessing he like won a bet or
1: something. <laughs> it, it was at a poker game. <laughs> was, yep. Yep.
0: And the guy couldn't live it down. So he just went with it. <laughs> so here's my, do I have time for silly questions? Yeah. Give me one. All right. So famous musical number. Everyone says, I love you. Ridiculous. Comes through. Like every brother sings it once. Uh-huh. Even the, where well, the non-singer doesn't <laughs> sing it, but.
1: Does he whistle it? He does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: He probably whistles it. When you remix it for 2022, <laughs> what's the format? Or singer, even if you're that good. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm not good with modern music, to be honest. Like, uh. Okay, 80s, make it 80s then.
1: <laughs> well, I guess, okay, 80s would be like a. Um, so like Michael Jackson's going. Yeah, and... yeah, something <laughs> like that. I was like, my first thought was metal, but that's just because I saw Thor Love and Thunder recently. <laughs> um, but maybe it would actually be more like a take on me kind of style, like very soft and groovy.
0: <laughs> this song, guy starts off serious and it gets ridiculous by the end of the movie.
1: Well, Zeppo, the straight man, is the first guy who sings it. And then like each of the other brothers takes their own thing and it's they change the lyrics each time. And...
0: Everyone says I love you. But just what they say it for, I never knew. It's just inviting trouble for the poor sucker who says I
1: love you. Actually, I'd love to see Weird Al do a version of this.
0: That would be great, actually. Okay, that's so, your answer. That's my answer. All right, time for the big reveal. Is this movie worth it? I would say so. Um, I think most
1: Marx Brothers fans find this, especially if you're going for the really madcap stuff that was in the Paramount movies, this is probably second best to Duck Soup. I think most people find Duck Soup to be their masterpiece. It's been a while since I've seen Duck Soup myself, so I can't really compare it. But I had, like I said, I had a big goofy grin watching this thing. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I,
0: I would agree. I really enjoyed it. And it's only a little over an hour. Yep, so. yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just a different type of comedy than you get nowadays. Indeed. So I would think that means our verdict is... Go for the last. Yeah. I I was going to try to find some groucher thing to say, but yes, (laughs) I'm against it. (laughs) No, no,
1: but we're for it.
0: (laughs) Whatever it is, I'm for it. I'm for it. Anyways, go see it. All right, so let's wrap up here. Where can they find us, Tim? Our website is derailtrainsofthoughts.com.
1: That's pretty straightforward. I know this podcast is called Let's Finally Watch This, but derailed Trains of Thought is our main podcast where we talk about all manner of storytelling. There are over 130 episodes for you to catch up on. They're all available for you there, along with our other spinoff
0: podcast, The Weekly Hijack, where we have instant reactions to TV shows. And next week, we will follow up. We will jump 10 years into the future to 1942, and watch The Magnificent Ambersons. A family drama directed by Orson Welles. So, again, a very different type of genre. We, we enjoyed the kind of the genre whiplash here at Let's Finally Watch That. Yeah, watch this. Oh, let's finally watch this, yes. <laughs>
1: yes, so hope you can join us for it will be a much meatier topic and probably not so much uh, film history next time. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, we'll see you later. Till next time, this is
0: Tim. This is Nick. Bye bye. Adios.